Hello, fight fans, and welcome to another episode of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Montero. This is episode 204B for the week of January 18th, 2020. I see you guys, uh, Jack Alters on the chat, talking about the haircut. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, I had to get my uh, my wig cleaned up. All right, guys. Uh, so we got some good stuff to talk about here. Uh, some rumors, some news and notes, and of course, the fight preview. Uh, quick housekeeping. So we will not have a show next Monday. I believe that will be Monday the 20th. Um, I'm going to be traveling for a project. I'll be en route. I'll be like driving. So I won't be able to do a show Monday. We'll have a show next Thursday. So a week from tonight, and that will be a loaded show. We'll review what happens this weekend. We will preview what happens coming up the next weekend. So no show next Monday, Martin Luther King Day. I'll be traveling for a project, okay? Again, guys, uh, as I always remind you, the best thing you could do to help me out here is just spread the word about the podcast, man. Uh, Leave a rating and a review. If you've done it on iTunes but haven't done it on Spreaker or you've done it on Spotify but you haven't done it on, I don't know, what's another one? There's a million of these platforms now, right? Make sure you get to all of them at some point. Likes, reviews, ratings, all of it, right? And then spread the word, man. Post it on your social. Get the word out about the show. So we are about a week and a half away from uh, phone calls on the show. So at some point next week, I will post a video up on my channel. I'll post some tweets and stuff like that. I'll let you guys know the number, where to call, and everything else. I think it's going to be a 213 number. It's going to be a local Los Angeles number. But other than that, man, I think you guys can call from your cell. You can call from Skype, whatever it is, and we'll start having calls on the show. So I, I can't wait for that. It's going to be so awesome to talk with you guys. And then you won't have to listen to me just yap by myself every show. You'll be able to hear other people. The coolest part, too, other than talking with you guys every week, is we'll be able to have guests on the show. So I already got a line of people in the business, both uh, I mean, just promoters, network people, fighters, um, trainers, and other media people that are going to be on the show. So we'll get to a point where every week we have a guest on the show. We'll start the show with a guest, and then we'll open it up to phone calls. So I can't wait, man. It's, it's just awesome. 2020 is going to be such a great year. It's been a rough couple of years getting all this set up and together. But we're right there, man. We're right on the cusp. I can't wait. All right, so let's get into some quick news and notes. So uh, one thing I forgot to mention uh, Monday on Monday's show is Andrew Concio signed with Top Rank. If you remember recently, uh, Concio lost his last fight, and he had a kind of a beef with Golden Boy Promotions. He thought they weren't doing him any favors. They thought they had done very well by him. So there was a beef there. They let him go. And I told you guys right then and there, that I thought it was a really good idea for uh, Top Rank to pick him up because I think they'd know exactly how to promote him. They have fighters in and around the weight class Concio fights in. Lo and behold, he signs with Top Rank. It's like I almost know what I'm talking about or something. So I think he's going to do very well with Top Rank, and they'll know exactly how to promote him. It's going to be very similar, not exactly the same, but similar. There's going to be parallels to, I think, what you saw with Jamel Herring. I think you're going to see an improved, better Andrew Concio in 2020 and 2021. So uh, let's talk about ratings real quick. 
I talked a little bit about this Monday, but the Clarissa Shields, Ivana Habison card, uh, that fight, I should say, peaked at 288,000. So that is down, obviously, from Shields' fight with Christina Hammer, which peaked at 369. And that is down from Shields' peak with Hannah Gabriels that peaked at 410,000. So there's a pattern there. She's trending downward. And there's a million reasons for that. Stupid, lazy people will point to a couple of reasons, but logical, objective, smart people will point to dozens of other reasons that are leading to this. And most of it has to do with Clarissa Shields herself, both in the ring and outside the ring. Also, uh, Joe Smith and Jesse Hart, that fight peaked at 673,000 views. And uh, that card struggled because it started right around, uh, that card actually started while the Titans-Ravens NFL playoff game was going on. And if you look at the average ratings of that card, they were abysmal. But I think that's kind of an anomaly because, again, it started during that playoff game. The ratings, if you look at the hour-to-hour ratings, they improved dramatically after the Titans-Ravens playoff game. So 673,000, that's not a very good rating for ESPN. It's not complete dog shit, but it's not very good. But Joe Smith, Jesse Hart, not necessarily household names. All things considered, you're going head-to-head with an NFL wild, or not wild card, divisional round playoff game. I think it's a decent rating, but nothing to get excited about. Biggest news item of this week, I, I guess this is news. Former NFL wide receiver Antonio Brown has been posting videos of himself training, hitting mitts. There was a picture of him with Vladimir Klitschko. Did they train together? I don't know, but they were in the same gym working out, and they took a picture together. Obviously, Antonio Brown's a boxing fan, if he knows who Vladimir Klitschko is. And um, he apparently, according to his trainer, is taking this very seriously. And several folks at The Zone have confirmed that there are serious talks going on right now for a fight between Antonio Brown and Logan Paul, who is, I think, 0-1 as a professional fighter, quote-unquote. And I think he lost or maybe had a draw or something with his only uh, amateur fight. So uh, Logan Paul, here's the thing. In terms of a lot of people are favoring Logan Paul in this matchup. I'm not going to talk too much about it right now. The, number, the, the videos of Antonio Brown, he looked abysmal. I mean, he just looked absolutely terrible. Just stiff as a board. Stiff is stiffer than my, you, you get what I'm saying. Stiff, okay. No upper body movement. Like it, it looked like his backbone was fused. Like he was incapable of bending at the waist. Uh, right foot was leaving the ground when he threw a right hand. Just awful. But apparently he's taking this seriously, and he's kind of lost his mind recently. He's been saying weird racist things and just uh, uh, sexist things on Twitter and just kind of all over the place. But apparently now he wants to be a boxer. Here's the thing. He's 5'9", 180 pounds. Logan Paul is 6'1", and I think he was uh, 199 for his fight with KSI. So in terms of body size... This fight, we body, yeah, body size. It kind of looked like Logan Paul versus a really in shape KSI. For those of you who watched that, that's what it looked like. That's what it looked like. Um, Antonio Brown ripped, obviously, and KSI is a little bit of fat on him, a little bit of a belly. But in terms of height and reach, that's kind of what it looked like, you know. 
Here's the thing. Everyone favoring Logan Paul, and I understand why you do that, but it's not like Logan Paul is some boxer, right? He's not very good himself. His fundamentals are complete dog shit, but he is a really young man. The thing with Antonio Brown, obviously I'd favor him if he fought Logan Paul because even though he's complete dog shit as a boxer, uh, you know, every punch would be telegraphed. A guy like me, and I'll put it on record right here on video, I'll fight Antonio Brown. I tweeted this, by the way, okay? I'm not trying to be a, a big hero here. I'm being serious. I would fight Antonio Brown. If DeZone paid me $100,000, sign me up. I'll fight Antonio Brown next week because I'd, I'd tune his ass up. I know exactly how to fight him. But someone like Logan Paul, he's not going to see the punches coming. He's not going to know how to react. Antonio Brown is a professional athlete and a grown-ass man. I would favor him to beat Logan Paul. Yeah, I'm going to put it out there. I would favor Antonio Brown to beat Logan Paul. There's a reason why they're calling him out and going after him versus someone who actually knows boxing. Okay, there's a big difference there. All right, let's uh, let's preview what we got coming up, guys, and then we'll get to the chat. It's not a loaded show. Uh, it, it's a light week. Okay, we've got – I've talked about this – in the past couple weeks. Like we've got a loaded schedule, but it's not necessarily big fights. I like that we have a loaded schedule though. If you guys are diehards, you're fight freaks, you're going to watch these fights. So uh, Friday, January 17th, tomorrow, Salida Promotions, another card on Showbox from Sloan, Iowa. I don't know why this card's in Iowa though. This card should be in Detroit. Three of the top prospects fighting on the card are Detroit guys. And Salida... uh, I like what he's trying to do because he's trying to help out Detroit boxing. He really has made uh, an imprint on Detroit. He's the only promoter that's invested at all in Detroit fighters. You guys know that's my hometown. Michigan's my home state. So I care about this. But the last fight with Clarissa Shields wasn't in Michigan, right? And they tried to put it in Michigan. Her family ruined that. But all three of these prospects here are Detroit-based guys that are taking us to Sloan, Iowa, I guess because they're getting a site fee there. That's unfortunate, man. You should be building up a community in Detroit. So I like what Demetrius Salida is doing, working with Detroit Boxing. But, dude, get these fights in Detroit, man. Put these guys at Motor City Casino or something and build a brand there. Anyway, uh, a Russian-born Detroit guy, Vladimir Shishkin, 9-0, going up against a San Diego-based fighter, Ulysses Sierra. Ten rounds, super middleweights. Both are undefeated. I actually think that's, on paper, the most evenly matched fight. These other two fights are showcase fights. So, an Uzbeki native, 202 amateur wins, now based in Detroit. Show Jahan Ergashev, who is a 140-pound prospect that really deserves a look. Going up against Mexican board Adrian Estrella, who is one and three in his last four. That's a showcase fight. He's going to win big. And uh, another Detroiter, junior bantamweight Jarico O'Quinn, 13 0 in one draw. Going up against a Nevada based fighter, Oscar Valdez, who is 0 1 1 in his last two. That's another showcase fight. So, again, I think that first fight between Shishkin and Sierra, at least on paper, that is the best, most evenly matched fight of that card. The other two are more showcase fights. But you got three Detroit guys, okay? One native and a couple guys from Eastern Europe that moved over there. Uh, I love that. I just wish this card was in Detroit. Anyway, I love that some Detroit guys are getting some uh, some TV time 
And I hope that Salida keeps investing in Detroit because nobody else is. And there is talent there, man. Saturday, January 18th, top rank on ESPN, the Turning Turning Stone Resort in Verona, New York. Eladir Storm Alvarez going up against Michael Seals in a 10-rounder, 175 pounds. And Joe Smith Jr., who just beat Jesse Hart last week, dominated Jesse Hart, has said that he wants the winner of this fight. He's gone on record saying he wants the winner of this fight. And it's a natural for ESPN top rank. I've been telling you guys, top rank is set up for a big 2020. Do not be surprised if the winner of this fight fights Joe Smith next. And that's the way you're supposed to build shit. That's the way you build these things. So uh, Alvarez coming off his uh, loss to Sergey Kovalev last February. It's been almost a year since he's fought. And Seals, a lot of you guys have not heard of him. 37 years old, big size for a light heavyweight, six foot three, fights out of the Atlanta area. Very rare. There's not many fighters here in Atlanta. So uh, one thing about him, he has a very weak resume. The only name on his resume is Edwin Rodriguez, who is a journeyman level fighter gatekeeper level fighter and he was knocked out in the third round against Rodriguez a couple years ago uh he did drop Rodriguez early in that fight it was kind of a back and forth really exciting fight actually those three rounds were really good look it up on YouTube if you haven't seen it he claims Seals does that he entered that fight with a torn rotator cuff and he actually had to get surgery to repair it after that fight so whether he injured before or during that fight uh, that wasn't the best version of Michael Seals. Anyway, check out my boy Steve Kim, good friend. Uh, he did a piece on ESPN about Michael Seals, giving a little background on who he is and how he felt he was kind of being blackballed because he was kind of a uh, low-reward, high-risk type of fighter. And he reached out to Brad Goodman, top ranks matchmaker, on all things Facebook Messenger. He literally, he just knew who Brad Goodwin was. He was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to message this dude. And sometimes that shit works. I mean, when I was first getting started in box and media, I did that. I messaged people. Nine out of 10, actually 99 out of 100, ignored my messages. But there was a few people that responded and uh, I developed relationships with. And that's kind of the way this happened for Michael Seals. So I on paper... This is a complete mismatch, but Steve Kim has been saying it. Several other industry professionals, Brad Goodman, who really knows his shit, they've all been saying this is going to be a highly competitive fight, and you shouldn't miss it. So I'll be checking that out. Also, uh, Felix Berdejo, remember him? Puerto Rican prospect, 2012 Olympics. Lost in those Olympics to Vasily Lomachenko. No shame in that. Was a blue chip prospect all the way, and then it all blew up. Going up against the Dallas, Texas-based fighter Manuel, Manuel Ray Rojas. And then uh, Samson Lefkowitz and Tom Brown promotions uh, putting on a card in Philadelphia. PBC on Fox. Julian J-Rock Williams going up against Dominican Republic native Miami-based Jason Rosario, who has a weak resume overall, making a huge leap in opposition challenging J-Rock for his IBF and WBA junior middleweight titles. But the thing is about Rosario, better than his record suggests. Okay, I think he's kind of like a Michael Seals here, where uh, a little bit better than the resume suggests. He can box a little bit, 
doesn't punch very hard. So I favor Julian Williams real big. So do the odds makers. Uh, and they know what they're talking about, the casino guys. They got Julian J. Rock Williams way up in the odds. I do think that the first few rounds of this will be competitive, though. And I think there's going to be jitters for J-Rock fighting in Philly. It's been a long time. That's his hometown. He's going to have those hometown jitters. So I think there might be some nervous moments early on in some competitive rounds. But down the stretch, middle rounds, late rounds, I like J-Rock to take over. Uh, Uncle Al really kind of did J-Rock wrong last year. He had that great fight against Jarrett Hurd in May, one of my favorite fights in 2019. You couldn't, you couldn't have – it was basically in the top two or three fights of the year, in my opinion. You know, If you didn't have that fight against Williams and Hurd as your fight of the year 2019, that's fine. But you can't tell me that there were three fights better than that last year. It was one of the top fights of the year, and it was one of the best performances, game plans, and executions – of the year from a fighter and a trainer, Stephen Breadman Edwards, Julian J. Rock Williams. Fantastic performance, man. And that was in May. And here we are in January. How many months is that? Holy shit, that's like eight months that he's been on the shelf. That's not cool, man. This fight in Philly, it should have happened in like September, October. He should have already had his homecoming. And this is one of the biggest problems with a lot of fighters right now, particularly American fighters. They're just not busy enough and it kills some of the momentum man so uh for rosario i mentioned this is a big step up in class i do think this is set up as a showcase fight for williams obviously there's unification with charlo later this year if he wins this fight so although on paper again it's a showcase fight and everything else rosario he can box williams is looking ahead to charlo he hasn't been very active He's going to have the hometown jitters. There's a lot going on here that sets up a scenario where you might see, again, I'm picking J-Rock all the way, but you might see some nervous moments early on. It might be more competitive live than it looks like it's going to be on paper because of all those X factors that I put out there. Uh, Struggling ticket sales for this card, and that's a damn shame. This should be a sellout. J-Rock should be able to sell out this small venue. I think it's at Temple University in Philly. But that's such a a shitty choice of venue. It's not a really good venue. It's not the best part of town. And they grossly overpriced tickets. I talked to ticket broker friends of mine. And you, you would just think that a homecoming for a unified champion, the best fighter right now at junior middleweight, would have an excited hometown crowd. And that's not the case. I do think that they're going to have a good walk-up sale in the next couple of days, and it will fill in because they're going to slash and discount tickets. You guys have seen everything going around on Twitter that they're giving away free tickets. They've Certain people have banned media members from talking about that on Twitter, which is really shitty. They've threatened to uh, go after people and shut down their accounts if they talk about the fact that there are free tickets being given away for this fight. That's so stupid and ridiculous. They should should just price the tickets the right way up front and put it in a better venue. And then we wouldn't be talking about this. But that's unfortunately the way that it's happened. And look, this isn't just with PBC. You've seen this with ESPN, Top Rank, and, and other promoters. But it just seems to be a trend with the American fighters, man. Stop overpricing these damn tickets. Price them correctly. Put it in the right venue market and promote the fight the right way and these guys will sell tickets 
um, we've seen uh, Ramirez, Jose Carlos Ramirez, sell out all the time in uh, Northern California. We've seen um, we've seen Errol Spence sell well in Dallas. We've seen Terrence Crawford sell well in Omaha. I can keep giving examples. Okay, if you do it the right way. You can sell tickets in fighters' hometowns. Also on this card, uh, undefeated prospect Chris Colbert, 13-0 out of Brooklyn. Junior lightweight going up against Jezreel Corrales, who is one in two of his last three. Of course, the WBA is going to put up an interim 130-pound title here. Why not? You have a prospect who has 13 pro fights going up against a guy who's lost two of his last three. Why wouldn't you put an interim bout or interim title on this bout? That's how the WBA does business. Anyway, Colbert's going to win this fight and grab an interim title, and he's going to end up by the end of this year being another one of these guys that is a prospect with a title. And that is the era that we live in. And it's not just the promoters that do this. It's the networks slash apps because the zone does this too. And are not technically a network. The networks slash apps do this as a means to market fights, market fighters. And it might work for casual fans, but educated nuanced boxing fans, which you guys are, if you're listening to this show, because this is, you know, this is the diehard of die of the diehard. Uh, you're not falling for this shit. You know, Chris Colbert, I think, is going to win this fight. And he's a blue-chip prospect. He's somebody that I definitely have my eye on. But uh, is he ready for a title? Is he ready to go up against the very best at 130? Absolutely freaking not. But that's the WBA for you. Also on this fight, uh, a couple other prospects. Joey Spencer, who's 9-0, only 19 years old, 154 pounds. I don't see a whole lot of potential there, but he is only 19 I think if they really develop him the right way, maybe there could be something there. I'd feel a lot better with Joey Spencer if he were with top rank because they know how to build prospects the right way. They just have the best matchmakers in the business over there at top rank. Also, another prospect, very young, Vito uh, Milnicki, who is 3-0, only 17 years old, a welterweight, and his nickname is White Magic. That's the stupidest freaking nickname. Really, dude? White magic. You couldn't think of something better. Whatever. He's 17 years old. So uh, that's it for the preview, guys. Like I said, it's a light show. So we could get to the chat here for a few minutes. Uh, get some questions in now, guys. Uh, let me make sure I didn't miss any super chats. I don't think I did. Get them in now, guys. And, uh, yeah, white magic. What a terrible freaking nickname. I mean, that's just so stupid, dude. Why? Why? Why do that? <laughs> and I'm sure it's not him who came up with that nickname. I'm sure it was guys in the gym. But, look, I used to get shit like that in the gym. And I used to tell guys, man, shut up with that. Give me another nickname. <laughs> I used to get so mad at that shit. I, like, I don't want to be known that way. Give me another nickname based on my personality. Um, Gail Falkenthal says we also have white chocolate and black magic. Look, black magic works, okay? Like, I get it. The, the whole white chocolate, white, white to me, like that's that's more of an insult than anything else. That's kind of an underhanded joke kind of thing. I just I, I don't like those nicknames. They're just kind of stupid. Um, Piglet Smith asked me, "Do I have a puncher's chance versus Wilder?" I guess, but if he lands that right hand on me, I'll be asleep for about a week. So yeah, I'm not going near Wilder. Well, if they paid me ten million dollars, I'd fight Wilder. I'd fight anybody, but that's different. Um, Lawrence Nye says, nah, be easy, Mike. White magic is funny. That's what I mean. It's funny. You're laughing at that name, right? So 
how are you going to be taken seriously? This is boxing. You want to be taken seriously with a nickname that people laugh at. What do you what what, in, what visions do you get when you hear the name White Magic? You start laughing. You know what I'm saying? And you kind of know what you're getting. So I just think it's one of those disrespectful, laughable kind of nicknames that just doesn't. Here's the thing. How many all-time greats do you know with nicknames like that? White Chocolate, White Magic, White Thunder, White Lightning. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It's, it's so Those nicknames never work out. <laughs> just don't work out. Uh, let's see here. Gail Falkendall says, bad nicknames stick like gum to your shoe. Show do. Uh, remember, uh, I, I, the worst nickname ever was Calvin Brock, the boxing banker. Remember that shit? The boxing banker. Now, I got to give it to Kelvin Brock. He had the knockout of the year against Zuri Lawrence. I can't remember. It was like the early 2000s. Beautiful knockout. So he that was his claim to fame. It was his biggest accomplishment. He went up against Klitschko and got destroyed. But his nickname was the boxing banker. How are you going to instill fear in your opponents if your nickname is the boxing banker? Like, dude, you got to have a better nickname like that. Mike Tyson was Iron Mike Tyson. Like, that's intimidating. You're go- and he was Iron back in the day. That was like punching. He was like a piece of iron. Remember, wasn't it Drago that said it about Rocky? Uh, yeah, but, but like, that's an intimidating nickname. You know what I'm saying? I could go on and on and on. Uh, Thomas Hitman Hearns. You know what I'm saying? And he was the Hitman. If he caught you clean, he was the Hitman. So there were some great names throughout the history of boxing, but the boxing banker, that ain't going to get it done. Survive says, just drop the white part. I agree with you. If his nickname was just magic, perfect. Paulie Magic Man Malanyaji. Didn't Antonio Tarver use Magic Man? There was a couple fighters that used Magic Man. Uh, Piglet talked about uh, Dr. Steelhammer. Like, that's very German. <laughs> that nickname is very German. But he kind of did have a steel hammer, if you think. And then it was, uh, the other Klitschko was Dr. Iron Fist. You know what I'm saying? So, like, very German. Very, very German. But it fit. It, it fit those guys. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but just There's just some hilarious nicknames. Jack Alter with the question, what do you think about Gerard Ennis's manager saying he'd beat Crawford? You know what, Jack? There's actually several people saying that, including uh, promoters and matchmakers in the business that are very high on Gerard Ennis. For me, I got to see him against better opposition. But just based on size, okay, he's naturally bigger, longer, stronger, and probably faster than Terrence Crawford. I mean, so he's got those physical tools but right now, if they went head to head, I mean, come on, man! Like, like Terrence just has so much more experience. I'd I, obviously I'd favor Bud, but uh, I want to see Ennis step it up. Scott Brown says I want to see Ennis beat Ugas. I'd love to see Jaron Ennis fight Jordanus uh, Ugas, who, who has a fight coming up that he's training for right now. Should he be successful in that fight? Sure, let's see that. But promotionally, can it happen? I don't know. I just don't know. Um. Let's see what else we got here. Chris Bergen asking, do we get a World Boxing Super Series 3? I think so. I think so. But I think they're going to be a lot more cautious about it. Um, They've been tweeting stuff recently, like polls and stuff, asking fans, what divisions do you want to see in Season 3? So I think they're going to do it. It's in the works. And just talked about this on Monday's show. They announced that Cruiserweight finale for Season 2. 
That means by the end of this year, you're going to get announcements for season three. It is happening. And um, I don't know. I mean, there's several divisions they could go in. It's just I would not invest in any division top rank or PBC are heavily invested in. Okay. Go in other divisions. So that's going to be more the international divisions. That's why Cruiserweight has worked so well for the World Boxing Super Series. And guess what? If they do Cruiserweight again in, in Season 3, sign me up. The Cruiserweight fights are always good, man. They're always good. DS Kennels asks, Ennis versus Jose Cito Lopez next. You know what? Sign me up for that. I, I think Ennis would, would look pretty good in that fight. He'd have some rough moments early. He had to learn on the job, but he'd look very good in that fight. Cole Matsuda asks, will Wilder retire undefeated and will Canelo ever lose again? I don't think Wilder will retire undefeated. And uh, I do think Canelo will lose again at some point. I think for Canelo, he'll just fight on for too long because he, he actually loves boxing. Canelo loves boxing and he'll fight on past his best years. He will lose at some point. Uh, to the next guy. I I also think Canelo will respect the tradition in boxing and he'll do what Vladimir Klitschko did for Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury. He'll do what Oscar De La Hoya did for Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao. He will pass that torch and he'll fight the next up and coming young guy. And for Wilder, look, at some point, his lack of fundamentals and terrible boxing skills will cost him. He will eventually fight somebody that will be able to see the power coming, handle the right hand, and outbox him. It will happen. Uh, Scott Brown asks, oh, no, wait. This is a, Joe56984 asks, has the WBC ordered a genetic test for Alejandra Jimenez? So, no, but they have posted a bunch of stuff on social media saying, quit making fun of her. She was born a woman. She's a single mother. Uh, it's nasty that people are making so much fun of her, blah, blah, blah. So the WBC is all in uh, supporting her. And people in the media that kiss the WBC's ass have shared that post. Look, I get what the WBC is saying. And I agree. Like, lay off the chick. She's got an extremely masculine voice and physical appearance. But that happens in life. There are men out there with extremely feminine voices and, and appearances, right? Including some of my detractors on social media. But, uh, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't help myself. But um, at the same time, I, I do think that people are being hypocrites a little bit with Alejandra. Look, she deserves credit. She won that fight fair and square last weekend. She's a champion now. She deserves all the accolades. But some people are having jokes at her expense, at her physical appearance and stuff. As I mentioned on Monday's show, there are a lot of male fighters that get made fun of because of their physical appearance. How many fat jokes have we heard about Andy Ruiz? He has been slaughtered way more on social media than Alejandra Jimenez has, okay? You have to be diehard of the diehard, fringe of the fringe, to even know who the hell she is. Less than 1% of the American public even knows who she is, right? People know who Andy Ruiz is, and he gets made fun of because he's a fat guy. So male fighters get made fun of way more. So I, I think for some of the people that are trying to jump up right now and, and be protective of Alejandra, I understand. I understand why. But where were you when other guys, when men, Andy Ruiz is being made fun of, or some of these other guys for their voice, their appearance, whatever it is, 
come on, man. Like everyone gets it, right? I get bashed on Twitter all the freaking time. I get bashed on social media all the freaking time. So it's just, it's part of being a quote unquote public figure. It's what happens. All right. Let's see what else we got here. Hamed asked, whoa, I lost your question. The chat is just updating so fast. He says, Mike, uh, have you spoken with Bob Bennett since the heated reporter moment would be great if you can grill and question other heads of the commissions? Yes, I have, Hamed. I've had to talk to Bob Bennett for stories that I've written for The Ring magazine and uh, some other projects that I've worked on. So I've had to talk to him both over the phone, over email and text. We have each other's phone numbers. We text sometimes. We email each other. We've talked on the phone. And I got to be, um, I got to give him credit because, you know, I slammed him. There was all these videos on social media. It made the national news, my ranting and raving with Bob Bennett that one day after that one fight a couple years ago that we won't name here because I don't want to trigger the Canelo fans. But um, to his credit, He's been super, super cool. He's always been available to me for interviews and stuff like that. He's given me information that he could anytime I've asked him about drug testing and stuff. Sometimes legally he can't give me details, but he gives me as much as he can. So um, he's been very, very cool. And I got you. Look, there's been people, if you're doing your job right as a boxing writer, a beat reporter, an analyst, pundit, whatever the hell you want to call me, I guess I'm all those things. If you're doing your job right in that role, dude, you're, you're going to bump heads with people and you're going to have some beefs and some disagreements. But the cool people that get it understand that and continue to work with you. So I've had disagreements. You guys know I've had disagreements with some of the guys at PBC. I've had disagreements with Bob Bennett, several other folks, right? Uh, people at top rank, people at Golden Boy. And yet they're smart. And when I need something and I call one of them or text or email one of them and I, I need to set up an interview, whatever it is, they respond because they know I'm just doing my damn job. So we can beef and we can argue, whatever. And then five minutes later, we can be cool again because we're pro- professionals about it. So uh, the big boys and big girls in this business understand that's how it works. All right, let's see here. Let's scroll down and see. Um Saloon Mooney with a good question. Whatever the hell ha- ever happened to Vashislav Glaskov? Dude, he blew out his knee in a freak injury against uh, Charles Martin. And I don't know if he ever came back from that. That was a bad injury, dude. Did you see that? He messed up his knee really, really bad. So uh, I just, I, I think that was it. I think that's pretty much it for him. Lawrence Nye says, hey, Mike, tell everyone in the chat that a prime Roy Jones Jr. dances around a prime Triple G, please. Uh, I don't know about dances around or whatever, but in terms of what I've seen from both guys, I would absolutely favor Roy Jones Jr. I will say this. It would be very competitive because of their styles. I want you to think of a guy Roy Jones fought that had Golovkin style, prime Golovkin. You can't, okay? Hopkins didn't fight like him. Like, I would favor Roy Jones Jr., absolutely, because that dude was special, special, once-in-a-generation level talent. However, however, it would absolutely be competitive 
especially in the later rounds, because Triple G, would re- his pressure, that jab and the bodywork of a prime triple, triple G would start to bother Roy Jones to a degree. But obviously, I'd favor Roy by decision, 116-112, somewhere in that range. Jack Alter says, Prime Golovkin was a special fighter. I concur, but I would put Roy Jones Jr. higher up, pound for pound. Uh, Roy was a special talent, dude. Just a freak athlete. Azier says, Roy had a glass chin. You know, we only saw Roy have a glass chin after he used performance-enhancing drugs. He screwed up his career by using performance-enhancing drugs. Before that, when he was a natural fighter, uh, he, you know, he, he never really showed a glass chin. It's not like he was knocked out at 160 or 168 or whatever. It's once he moved up and then moved back down, it, it really screwed him up. So I really think that there's, there's a lesson for fighters right there. Uh, don't, don't use performance-enhancing drugs. <laughs> Just don't do it because long-term, it ain't going to help. It's not like Roy needed the help. He was pretty damn good. And he moved up to heavyweight to fight John Ruiz. Does anyone give a shit? Does, that, that was like Canelo moving up to fight a completely faded, well past his best, Sergey Kovalev. Who gives a shit? It doesn't mean anything. If you're being objective about Canelo and rating him fairly and logically, that fight didn't mean shit. Roy Jones fight at heavyweight against John Ruiz. Who gives a shit? Did he move up and fight Lennox Lewis? Hell no, because Lennox Lewis would have drilled him. And he knows that. He's not stupid. So he moved up and had to use uh, artificial means to move up and beat John Ruiz. Who gives a shit? He moves back down. Suddenly he's got a glass chin. Gee, I wonder what happened. When you cycle off of that shit, it, it destroys your body, bro. It destroys you. Jack Alter asks, prime Triple G versus B-Hop. Triple G. Look, Triple G was the more athletic fighter, punched harder, punched in volume. Angles, upstairs, downstairs, left, right, um, good footwork, balance, a great jab. B-Hop, not a very athletic fighter. Very, very skillful, crafty, but just not the best athlete. And um, Triple G is not the athlete Joe Calzaghe was or Roy Jones was, but those fighters were such great athletes, and they toyed with Hopkins at times. I know the fight between Calzaghe and Hopkins was close on the cards because of the knockdown and everything, but later in that fight, B-Hop was looking for help from the ref, and he was looking for a way out. Go back and watch that fight again. Calzaghe's work rate and athleticism and speed was really giving him problems, and he was looking for a way out the door, and he kept looking for breaks, and the referee gave it, I think it was Cortez, Joe Cortez, kept kept bailing him out and helping him out and prolonging it. I, I almost think Calzaghe, um, yeah, Chris Berger says Joe Calzaghe, very underrated. I agree. I, I, I really agree. Joe Calzaghe, that win against Bernard Hopkins has aged pretty damn well, hasn't it? Um, and he completely cleaned out 168. Is he uh, one of the best top 10 fighters of all time or anything? No, absolutely not. But I do think here stateside in the United States, he gets um, underrated to a degree. I think some of it is because he's non-American. Uh, his fighting style, uh, he was called Cal Slappy. You know, he had a lot of hand injuries earlier in his career. He did slap with his punches. But guess what? 
even if you're slapping, if you're slapping the dude a thousand times and you're so fast and athletic that you're out of the way before he can catch you, slaps work. It worked for him. So, um, yeah, do I put him up there with the all-time greats? No, but I do think Joe Calzaghe gets underrated in the United States. I really do. And I think a big part of it is due to demographics. Joshua Wilder says that Hopkins was 42 when he fought Calzaghe. Yeah, how old was Hopkins when he was the light heavyweight champion of the world? He has very good wins over Jean Pascal and other guys, um, very good quality wins over guys that were half his age around that age in his 40s. And he was the light heavyweight champion of the world. That was Calzaghe's first fight at 175, his first fight in America. Look, he didn't need two tune-ups like Andre Ward took before he fought Sergey Kovalev, right? He didn't play that game. He came right over to the States and fought the man at light heavyweight in America and beat him. That's impressive shit. You don't see that from any American fighters going over to the UK doing that. Andre Ward never did it. Floyd Mayweather never did it. Terrence Crawford did go over and get his first title over in the UK. And that's part of the reason why I think Terrence Crawford is either 1A or 1B pound for pound right now because he actually traveled. I, I, I put a lot of weight on that. If you travel as a fighter and you go over there uh, to different countries and uh, fight guys in their backyard, Alexander Usyk, another prime example, I think that that should be rated very highly. That's hard to do, man. Hard to do. All right, guys, a couple more questions and we're going to get out of here. Um, good question from Tareen Falk. Is Antonio Tarver a Hall of Famer? He's one of those borderline guys for me. He's kind of like a Carl Frotch type of guy. Like <sighs> Carl Frotch, some people are like, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. I like Carl Frotch. I like Antonio Tarver. They would have to get in on a really, really, really weak year. Really weak year. Maybe Antonio Tarver eventually gets in, but if I'm voting this year, I probably don't vote for Antonio Tarver. You, you know what I'm saying? He's just one of those guys that falls just a little short of that. Yes, he has the win over Roy Jones, but given everything I just said about Roy Jones is cycling on and off and everything and uh, where he was physically at that time, uh, yeah, I just, and the same thing with Carl Frotch, who I really thought uh, a great fighter because he fought everybody, kind of like Miguel Cotto, fought everybody, right? Uh, But just a little short of that distinction for me, just a little short of Hall of Fame, man. And I like Tarver. But and Tarver had his own issues with performance-enhancing drugs, right? Uh, Let's see. A couple more, a couple more. Well, some of you guys are fighting in the chat. Don't do that. Don't fight with each other. Oh, Good question here from Aitiro. Who was your favorite between Yafai and Chocolatito? Man, I forgot. I totally forgot to mention that. So uh, Yafai, who has a title at 115, is fighting uh, Roman Gonzalez. And I think that's going to be, uh, what card is that on? On the January 30th card, I believe. Uh, that's a good fight. That's a real good fight. And you know what? I'm going to edge Chocolatito in that fight. My 2010s fighter of the decade, I'm going to give it to the old man. And let me tell you something. If he pulls that off and beats the young man, all the people that were giving Manny Pacquiao so much credit for beating Keith Thurman last year, you better give Roman Gonzalez credit if and when he beats Yafai. Because if he beats Yafai, that's a hell of a victory for him, considering everything he's been through 
And Yafai is in his physical, mental prime. Oh, February 29th is that fight. Sorry, guys. Yeah, uh, hi, hi, Tiro corrected me. February 29th is where that fight was added to. I knew it was at the end of one of those months. <laughs> I just got the wrong month. But if he beats Yafai, that's a big win. A big, big win. And um, I think people, for, for whatever reason, they just don't want to give Chocolatito credit. So just a fantastic fighter. Really fantastic fighter, man. Just slips under the radar for a lot of guys. Al Deguero asked Mike, you think we'll see Ryan Garcia versus Linares this year before Ryan? T- yes. Ryan Garcia and Jorge Linares will fight in 2020. It's quite possible that they fight on Cinco de Mayo or possibly, probably more likely, around Mexican Independence Day weekend in September when I think you're probably going to get Canelo and Triple G's rubber match. So I think you're going to get Canelo, Triple G, and Garcia Linares on that card. It is possible, though, Garcia Linares ends up on Canelo's May card, though. Um, but, yes, they will fight this year. Okay. Colmat Sudo with a good question. Uh, would Joe Calzaghe have beaten Andre Ward? You know, I get asked that question a lot. So Joe Calzaghe was the super middleweight fighter of the decade in the twenty or the 2000s. Andre Ward was the super middleweight fighter of the decade in the 2010s. And um, who would who would win between those two fighters? Mm. I get asked that a lot, and I really think a lot of it would come down to who's judging it, you know, who's scoring the fight, and where the fight is held. Would Andre Ward have ever traveled to the UK? Probably not. He would have demanded Kelzaghi come here, if you just look at Andre Ward's track record. So that fight would have probably happened in Vegas, Vegas judges, you saw how the fight between Ward and Kovalev went. I think you'd probably have a situation where it was a very close fight that could have went either way, and Andre Ward would have got the benefit of the doubt from the judges. But very, very, a lot of people would have felt Joe Calzaghe won. That's how I see that one going down. All right, guys, uh, we'll get one more question in here. Jack Alter asks, wait, you think Triple G, Canelo 3 in May? No, in September. I think uh, Canelo's going to fight Billy Joe Saunders in May. Golovkin is going to fight the Polish fighter, I can't think of his name right now, uh, in March in Chicago. And should they win those two fights, I think Canelo's really going to expose Billy Joe Saunders and, and finally blow up that hype train. Billy Joe Saunders is just vastly overrated by some people. So Canelo's going to beat Saunders in, in around Cinco de Mayo, and Golovkin's going to beat the Polish kid. By the way, I should say uh, Zermeta, right, is the guy's the kid's name, Zermeta. Uh, Golovkin now doing a full training camp. I actually talked to Victor Conti today, this morning, and um, they are going to, he's going to start training at sea level. He's going to train with a full camp at Snack with Victor Conti and his crew there uh, in the Bay Area to prepare for that March, late March fight against Amerta. So I think he's going to win that fight. And I, I, I really think there's a good chance you're going to get Canelo Golovkin three this September. I think that's what's going to happen. I actually, I expect Golovkin to look a lot better after training at snack at sea level and getting off the mountain. I actually think that it's going to look a lot better. Again, I talked to Victor Conti today. He's excited. He was like, dude, in his own word, he didn't say dude. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. But he was like saying, yeah, I, he's going to look good. 
This is going to be really good for him. And him and myself and a bunch of other people have kind of been trying to tell Tom Loeffler and Gennady Golovkin, get off the mountain, get out of the high altitude, and start doing some different training. And um, they finally listened. (laughs) So on that note, guys, uh, that's it. Again, no show Monday, but we will be back next Thursday. The following Monday, the last Monday of this month, will be the first call-in version of the neutral corner. So I'll give you guys details about that next week. All right. I'll see you guys at the fights.